You are listening to Proudly Resents, the cult movie podcast. To all you Proudly Resents listeners out there, just remember, you can't piss on hospitality. How do I it? All right, cool. We're here with Sandy Schler here on Proudly Resents. I'm Adam Spiegel. And Sandy is a professional script supervisor for many years and worked on many shows and movies. And the strangest one is, I guess, The Room, which turned into a phenomenon. And also, somehow, you became the director. And we'll find out how you're doing. It, it is probably the funniest and most bizarre experience of my life, quite easily. It all began eight years ago when... I got a telephone call from a, a cameraman, a shooter of many, many, many years named Raphael Smaja. Raphael and I had done a few commercials together, a few things. He knows I have also directed a lot of second unit stuff and a few shorts, and I've been doing this for 25-odd years now. So I get a call from Raphael that I had to... He knew I had wrapped a project, and you've got to get your butt down to Burns & Sawyer, a camera prep house... Immediately. And I'm like, dude, I, I'm relaxed. I don't want, I'm home, I'm done. Nope, get down to Burns and Sawyer immediately. So I trot on down to Burns and Sawyer in Hollywood. And I walk in, and there's Raphael. I need you here bad. You gotta hang on, you're gonna meet a man named Tommy Wiseau. Now, if you've, have you ever been in the prep room at Burns and Sawyer? Where is that in Los Angeles? It's in, yeah, it's, uh, well, at the time it was on La Brea, it's not anymore. When you go into the equipment room, there's the front store, but the equipment room has these bays where various crews that are gearing up for features and whatnot will start stockpiling lenses, equipment. There are four groups in there gearing up for shooting features, and I pretty much know everybody there from other projects. When you get older, you kind of know everybody. <laughs> so they're all, hey, I'm greeting everybody. Hey, Sandy, hey, Ron, Paul, John, how you guys doing? And in walks Tommy Wiseau. His skin white as that piece of paper. His hat pulled down so low I can't even see his eyes with the craziest accent that you have ever heard. And as I was speaking to him, we were lined up in such a way that I'm talking to Tommy, and right behind Tommy and out of Tommy's eye line is Raphael. And Raphael is in the background with hands clasped together just going, please, 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 please. Now, Every guy in there is now watching this because nobody does this in the prep room at Burns and Sawyer. So everybody's what is watching. He doing? Everybody's just watching me interview this strange looking man who talked funny. It, you know, and it's just like that article they did on me in Entertainment Weekly. You know, uh, Tommy is, uh, what do you do? Well, I'm a script supervisor. I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. Oh. We need you to do that. Everybody starts <laughs> laughing. The entire room breaks up laughing. Tommy, oblivious to all of it. He's the only one not getting the joke. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think you do. Anybody that shoots does. And then he adds, could you also please tell the actors what to do? You know, design the shots and say action and cut and, you know, basically everything that a director does. And uh, the room, you could have heard a pin drop in there at this point. I'm like... Uh, you want me to direct this for you? And his re first response is, oh no, I am director. Sounds like Tommy, yes? Right. And then I'm looking at him and everybody's waiting and I said, you want me to direct this for you? Yes, please. So, okay, fine. Um, when do you start shooting? Half hour. 
Hey. Uh, and there's Raphael behind Tommy out of the island going, please, 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 please. Like, fine. The room cracks up laughing. Question number one, I'm a Hollywood professional. Question number one, how much are you going to pay me to do this? I will pay you $70 a day. The room absolutely busts up laughing. I mean, these guys are practically being themselves. It's so odd. And I said, well, bye. See you later. I'm out the door. No, 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 wait. You must come back. How much do you want? I'll tell you what, why don't you put a zero behind that and we'll begin discussing the situation. So much money. Yes, and it's actually not very much money at all for me to direct this, and especially in a half hour. So we get ready to go and I say, do you have a script? No script, I have these three pages. So the bottom line here is I never had a script. There was never a script. What I would get is a few pages at a time. Three or four pages at a time with no page numbers, no slug lines, which are what the scenes are, no action descriptions, nothing. Just a series of character names with dialogue that made, I'm sorry, Tommy, but it made no sense whatsoever. So the first thing I did whenever I got pages was not rewrite at all, but to at least put it in some sort of structure that would be that could be understood. They may be saying very bizarre things, but at least now the bizarre things will have a noun, a verb, a predicate, you know, a beginning, a middle, an end, and a period at the end of the sentence. Otherwise, it, it made as much sense as a water bottle, walkie-talkie, television stand. It made no sense at all. Sorry, Tommy, but that is the truth. So, okay, three pages, and uh, half hour, uh, where are we going to shoot this? Raphael opens up the back door. Lo and behold, behind Burns and Sawyer is a tiny little soundstage, the size of a room. Get it? Get it? The room. Okay. So I get the room, as, and where are is my this the actors? apartment? It's all the same thing. It was just this one little space. Yeah, yeah. the apartment. Yeah, break in with a question anytime. So, and, and scattered around in front of it is an entire low-budget film crew. I would also like to add, they were the nicest most wonderful film crew you could have. Very few were experienced, but their hearts were pure, their intent is there, and whatever quirk of the, the gods in the universe plopped them down. They're, you know, here in LA, everybody's trying to start a career. They were wonderful, they were hardworking, their, they, their motives were fabulous. They were terrific people who were trying, for the most part, to start a career. Basically, really, only Raphael and I had any experience whatsoever. I had a sound mixer, that for the first couple of weeks we couldn't really roll sound right away because he's reading the manual. I got a boom operator who keeps slamming the boom into the walls. I, you know, it was, I never enjoyed myself more and I laughed my behind off every single day. So where are my actors? Six wonderful youngsters, most who knew and who had never really acted before. But their intent was pure. Okay, fine, I'll direct this. As long as these checks keep clearing, I had no idea. Apparently, checks will always clear. So, <laughs> all right, so we start, we walk in, I got the first three pages, and we start shooting the room. The first thing I had to do was fire the first AD. Not fire, his assistant Greg, who is a wonderful human being, Greg Sestero. Greg was working as a first AD, but had never been a first AD. So on a project that small, the easiest thing you can do 
I will direct it in first AD at the same time because it's small enough that I can control that because the first AD is really relaying the instructions of the director to prep the next scene, to get the, the next people ready. I only have one set. So all I have to do is lean out of the set door and yell across the parking lot, get them ready for such and such, and then move back on set. Mm -hmm. That's all there was to it. And then we started the shoot. I got a million stories. What's your... Uh, well, what, what was the first scene that you shot? <sighs> I can't remember. But amongst the earliest scenes, I'll clear up a few issues. Amongst the earliest scenes was a small scene where Lisa and Tommy drop back on the couch. They're a little tipsy. <laughs> you know the scene? Uh, yeah. Okay. And there's a pizza box on the table. Tommy kept breaking the glasses. And on that scene, all he has to do is turn to her and kiss her on the cheek. What I saw on take one on the monitor, and, and I, I really don't want to get into the, those kind of little details, was so horrific to me that I decided at that moment that I would never direct this man in a love scene, ever. Were you in the... Ever. So I knew Tommy had planned two love scenes for himself. I just pushed him to the last day. Now, Tommy said in this article and at other times, well, he, he, he quit the project. Yes and no. I directed every single day of that project right up until the last day. And on the very last day, I quit. I am not going to direct him in a love scene. And having seen the two love scenes, I am so glad I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I have the, the, the young man, Denny, I just want to watch. That's perverse. So it's so bizarre. And Tommy had reminded us all frequently how perfect his behind was. And I just knew it would be a day of Tommy walking around naked on set all day, which is exactly what happened. And it's extremely unprofessional, and I didn't want to be there for that. Instead, on that day, and actually I quit the day before, told him I'd get him a director. He said, no, 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 we'll take care of it. And apparently nobody did. What I ended up doing on that day was working with Janusz Kaminski, starting a project. And here's a man with two Oscars and shoots for Spielberg. Tommy's naked ass, Spielberg. <laughs> uh, no contest. So the scene you were talking about where he falls down and he's supposed to kiss her. Yeah. What, is he just went way over the top. Is that what you're saying? More than kissing? Way over the... Jupiter. <laughs> Mars. He, it was beyond... It was beyond over the top. It was... It kissing was, her, he was... Whatever. Yeah. yeah I, I'm uh, trying to get details, but you're... No, I... <laughs> okay. Uh, suffice to say, yeah. I don't think tongues belong on cameras in close-ups. Right. Okay. Okay? That's yeah. all I got to say about that. And what about in that scene, why are they drinking vodka and mixing it with, with uh, scotch, which they call The answer to many, many of your questions are going to be, I have no idea. There were so many things, I have no idea. I shot this whole project uh, with a, a practically a crane dolly. It wasn't because Tommy required a 35-millimeter Airy BL film camera fixed, mounted, fixed, in place, next to a Panasonic HD tape camera. I have no idea why. One's HD, one's One film. is a tape camera, one is a film camera. They are mounted in a fixed positions side by side. Now, did you tell Tommy this is a terrible idea? Did you... I just said, I don't understand. Why are we doing this? Don't ask. It will make sense later. Of course, it never made any sense whatsoever. And, and I, I have no idea. And the fr is the framing off? Try and go in for a close-up when you have two cameras. You right. can't. <laughs> so basically, I just shot it for the 35-millimeter camera and ignored the, the HD, and eventually the HD went away. But for a long time, this made no sense at all. So you're, how do you light for both cameras? You, you, well, you, you can and can't. 
but you can't really. However, the cameras are close enough together that the light will match. However, they have different formats. So I live for the 35 millimeter camera and ignore the HD. I'm sure that nothing from that ever got used. I mean, I still don't understand why it was there. Did you frame it for 35 and let the other camera just? Yes. Okay, I was wondering how. Okay, they... and that's another thing. I directed this. Why am I coming forward? Well, Entertainment Weekly found me. I believe the response is, we knew there was a guy like you out there somewhere because Tommy couldn't have done this. I, w I don't want to take anything, well, I want to take something away from Tommy. The only thing being, he did not direct this. What is my motivation? I haven't asked him for one extra penny. I haven't gone to him for any money, but I do get very annoyed at liars. He has spent the last eight years lying that he directed this movie. He did not. What did I not direct? Well, his two love scenes on the last day, thank God, and, and his San Francisco second unit. They sent a unit up there. They ended up grabbing, I think, a yogurt shop and a flower shop, pretty much the same. What is that? Hi, doggy, that scene? Yeah. Yeah, that scene. It's lit bad, frame bad, shot bad, horrible. I have no idea what happened. Um, and then the second unit stuff for the San Francisco exteriors, which we would put on the green screen for the rooftop. Everybody loves to talk about the rooftop. Well, did you shoot the rooftop? Of course. And what? I shot everything in that movie. Now, Tommy had mentioned in the article, well, maybe he was my assistant. This is bullshit. I was never his assistant. I'll say that into the mic. Never assisted Tommy once. Now, if a producer wants to get involved with the direction, he sits on set behind the producer and makes comments. Tommy never, ever, ever sat on set behind me giving me comments, instruction, nothing. The only time Tommy was ever on set was to act. Never. One word about direction, not one word about what the scenes, how they would be played, nothing. This was all my creativity and what I did. And I'm not looking to make, a, well, if the movie's making millions, I should, there should be something, but nothing. Well, the movie's making a lot of money, but it's it it? rumored that it's cost $6 million to make. I have no idea about the money. No. None. Not where it came from? I'm not going to take anything away from Tommy like that. Tommy did produce it. Tommy did force the issue. Tommy also put a billboard up on Highland or La Brea, <laughs> wherever that was, for five years, which probably, just like, you remember Angeline? Right. Right. The billboard sits there for five years. Eventually, people are going... Who the hell's the guy on the billboard? That's how I found the movie. Which will lead to the movie, which will lead... Tommy, I guess, was paying Lemley to play it at midnight screenings. I don't know. It sells out Fridays and Saturday nights, all five theaters. Amazing. Midnight. Still? Still. So Okay, so if the movie's making money, I mean, I suppose the director's entitled to something. Right. Right. I directed the whole movie. Have you talked to DGA, is it? Well, it's a non-DGA movie. It's a non-union. So... If I were to go after money, which I, I haven't even determined this. You know, the first, I did talk to one lawyer because Tommy has not answered an email or a telephone call of mine in eight years. Apparently, because I left on the last day, he hates me. Well, too bad. The reality is I directed his movie for him. Now, what you see in this movie are takes five, six, 10, 15. That's not Tommy. I mean, the first and action. Take one, Lisa, you are tearing me apart. <laughs> bigger, take two. Bigger, take three. Bigger. Now, what was I doing? I was making, and the watchword you should always hold in your head, I'm making a movie nobody's ever going to see. This is my mindset. We do this in Hollywood all the time. 
I got hired and picked up on a project. I'm having the time of my life making the most bizarre thing I have ever been involved with. Tuxedos on football players? Are you kidding me? I don't know. So I am making the most bizarre project of my entire life and having a great time doing it, but don't ask me to find sense in any of it. Life handed me lemons, and this was the biggest lemon of all, and I'm making a movie nobody would ever see. Who knew that, it would, that this would happen? So my approach then is, okay, fine. I've been hired by the spoiled rich kid, not Tommy. Others in my career, we all have. Every guy in Hollywood has. Where you end up making something that some crappy zombie movie or whatever that nobody's ever going to see because some kid's got a couple million dollars of his dad's money. And I thought, this movie, this movie will be my homage to those people. <laughs> I would direct every scene so far over the top, the actors would need oxygen just to get through it. Now, why is that? Because the actors... Because it would be funny. Yeah. And I'm having a great time with my DP. <laughs> the Plastic Spoons is a perfect example. You know, before I get into that, I, a friend of mine, I, I spent a couple years shooting in Eastern Europe. Most, a lot of my career has been international. And I had been gone for a couple of years shooting in, in Bulgaria and Croatia and Turkey. And, and I step off a plane, and the second night I'm home, I get a phone call from a very good friend who's a director. He says, dude, you have got to get down to Hollywood right now. Why? You remember that stupid movie you made? Yeah. Well, there's a line about a mile long to get into it. What? Jump into my car. It's one in the morning. Jump into my car. Drive down at, into Hollywood. I tell the person at the booth, you know, you're showing the movie that I directed. Can I just go in the back? They freak out like I'm Scorsese or something. <laughs> not. Not. I stand in the back row, and I am amazed, horrified, uh, hypnotized. Half the audience is wearing the same costumes as the actors. They're all repeating the dialogue like Rocky Horror. And then the spoons. And half the audience stands up and starts throwing plastic silverware at the screen, at which point I turned around and ran for my car. <laughs> now, what is, now, there were two DPs on this. I, Raphael was probably there just to start the shooting process and keep Tommy from returning all the equipment he bought and let the 30 days go by because Raphael probably owed Burns and Sawyer a favor. I'm just guessing. I have no idea. But that's how it works. But that's sometimes. Yeah, Everything yeah. you can think of works like that. So when Raphael decided to leave... I brought in a friend of mine, Graham Futerfoss, who finished shooting it out. Now, Raphael, this is a very experienced shooter, a wonderful man who has shot all over the world making beautiful projects. For Raphael, after one day of shooting, this is a 4x4 floppy flag. You know, you open it up, it drops down. I had to build him a 4x4 floppy house just outside the stage with his own little monitor to watch what we were doing, because every time I yelled action, he would start laughing so hard, I had no soundtrack. <laughs> there were things that happened. You would expect Rod Serling to step out somewhere and go, submit it for your approval. The weirdest film ever made. Okay, so I'm, I'm directing everything, amping it all up over the top. I am panning across mother and daughter, and there's an empty table. <laughs> empty table. Okay, no. Props. Do you have anything I can put on that table? We don't have anything. Those picture frames, what's in those? Well, it's still the marketing shots of the plastic silverware. Fine, put them on the table. The camera just panned across them. That's all it was. There's nothing deep. There's nothing <laughs> meaningful. 
It was just me screwing around with my DP. Because the props didn't have anything better Nothing. to put in there. Nothing. Yeah. Leave the marketing in because I'm making a movie nobody's ever going to see. Right. Who cares? We left it in. And then for a couple of days, Graham was having fun. We would just keep panning off the Civil War because it was funny. Yeah, Civil War. Civil War. Stop doing that. And then we moved on. You made notes. Of course I made notes. Okay. I did this, did this, did this. Yeah, why I directed it. What about the blocking when Denny walks in and then he sits down on the floor? Which scene? <laughs> Every scene. Denny's character never made any sense to me whatsoever. In fact, a lot of these scenes never made any sense to me whatsoever. The football scene, they were all trying on tuxedos. I have no idea why. Most of the time, things would happen, I would have absolutely no idea why, and just go with it. Yeah, okay, fine, whatever. So one day they, they're wearing tuxedos. They're tuxedos, and Tommy says, oh, they should play football. Why would they play football in their tuxedos? Oh, they should play football. And then he walks away. <laughs> Fine. Have him play football. But the camera angles, the things that are making it interesting, funny, these are mine. I decide where this camera goes, not Tommy. And this is throughout this entire project. I place the cameras. I decide the lenses. I decide the shots. I decide how we're going to, going to view it. 1950s melodrama. Everything is shot in profile. Long masters lead the way. Who cares? And that's pretty much how I did it. There were so many bits of dialogue. I have breast cancer, but that's another story. Are you kidding me? And I go to Tommy, Tommy, breast cancer is not funny. This is a very sensitive topic. We should not have this in the movie. Oh, but Sandy, this is a very serious scene. What do you say to that? Yeah, okay, fine, breast cancer, whatever. But they never bring it up again. No, of course not. So many things are never, ever, what does she say at one point? Those fuckers at work? What work? Who? <laughs> at the very end of the movie, there's, I got a party scene where Lisa and Mark, or Mark, I can't remember the other character, they're making, or Lisa and Mark are making out, and then this guy appears from nowhere. Yeah. And starts yelling at them and lecturing them, a character I have never seen before. I go up to Tommy. Who is his character? Oh, that's Johnny's best friend. He's been out of town until now. <laughs> okay. Fine. The best friend with no name is going, fine, okay. Making a movie nobody's ever going to see. I'm having fun. That's all. Because a guy just shows up. He's just there. Yeah, this is his character. Remember, I don't have a script. So I never know what's coming. Imagine. Here's three pages. What about the scene where Peter, the guy with the glasses and the suit that's too big, yeah, the psychologist. the psychologist. Did he quit the movie? No. No. He only had that scene. And then the football. Yeah, and the football. I Never was made the... any sense. Where did he come from? What is his position? How do these know these characters? He makes more sense than the guy in the party. I thought. Right. I always thought he quit and he replaced him with the guy in the no. party. Just another character. <laughs> there were so many of them. I, I even wrote some of them down on, on, at one point. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that. We definitely don't want to talk no, about that. No, let's talk about that. No, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, her first husband, Harold. Mom had breast cancer. Mom is divorcing Edward. Who the hell is Edward? Uh, the fucker's at work. Mark's ex-girlfriend, Betty. I don't know Betty. It, it is... I'm sorry, Tommy, but it is horribly, horribly written. Characters that make no sense. But still, part of the fun of this movie is the bizarre dialogue. Tommy wrote it. 
I fixed it, but Tommy wrote it. Not taking that away from him. Tommy produced it, not taken away from him. Tommy was the lead actor, actor in quotes, not taking that away from him. But he didn't direct one, one frame of this project until they did San Francisco. What about the, the scene where out of the blue there's two characters that come into the room, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and he takes off his sweater? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm directing it. I don't know. <laughs> All right, the rooftop scene. Everybody loves the rooftop scene. Tommy comes to me in the middle of all of this. Sandy, I need a scene where they are on the rooftop in San Francisco. Say what? I got one little room here beside, behind Burns and Sawyer. I need this scene. Okay. The only way I could see to do it with the, with the money and the, the situation we were in was I just built a rooftop out in the Burns and Sawyer parking lot, lined it with green screen, and I figured we'll shoot it up and then they can shoot the plates in San Francisco and lay it in on a green screen. And we have a rooftop in San Francisco. And we will build an attic doorway, which is what Tommy steps through, you know, big, tall doorways. So we're doing the scene. Oh, I did not hit there. I did not hit there. Oh, hi, Mark. Seems simple. You're looking at probably take 26. Seems simple. Take one. We stuff Tommy into the rooftop doorway. Action. Tommy opens up the rooftop doorway, slams his head into the transom across the top, knocks himself to the ground. I now have an actor with a crease in his forehead. He's a little groggy. We wait, water, medic, take care of Tommy. You ready? Yes. Take two. Stuff him into the doorway. The exact same thing happens. Slams his head in the transom again and hits the pavement. Okay. When Tommy comes to, we'll try take three. Take three, Tommy steps through the door, and I'm doing this from seven and eight-year-old memory, by the way, but it's fairly accurate. Take three, Tommy steps through the doorway. I did not hit, Sandy, yeah, Tommy. I am angry, I must throw something. Angry people throw things? Yes, insight into Tommy. Angry people apparently throw things. Okay, I lean over, I kid you not. I grab a water bottle from a PA, and at the time of here, throw this. Take four. Stuff Tommy into the rooftop doorway. Action. Tommy steps through. And by the way, from takes four till 25 or whatever we ended up on, every time, he came, time Tommy came through the door, he would hunch over, crane his head, and look up at the transom to make sure he wouldn't hit his head. Watch it again. You'll see. Whoa, I like that. He comes through the doorway. I did not hit her. I did not hit her. Hi, Mark. Looking down at the ground and throws the water bottle, knocking a planter off the set, crash, no shooting till this is all cleaned up. Meantime, I can't use the shot anyway because the camera is shaking so much because the operator is laughing so hard, he cannot hold the camera steady anymore. Fine. I'm screaming with laughter. And Raphael or, or Graham is wherever they're at, they are, everybody's laughing. The only person not laughing is Tommy. Be very clear about this. We're having the time of our lives, making the funniest thing I have ever worked on. Tommy is making high drama. He is, they said that in the article. Tommy, you, you contradicted me, but you know this is true. You have been lying about this for years. He was doing drama, melodrama, and he thought this was the greatest piece of drama ever made. 
It is only after this big giant eight years of hoopla and everything that came with it, people are going, the funniest thing ever, that he now says, this is a comedy. Tommy was never, ever, ever making a comedy. He was making drama. We were doing Gone with the Wind. Not. Well, the trailer says it. The trailer says a drama of Tennessee Williams proportion, and at the end says black comedy. Added. Yeah, added. Tommy never got the idea that it was a comedy. Everybody else, everybody else did. So, take five. I'm back on the rooftop. Tommy comes through the doorway. I did not hit her. I did not hit her. Throws the water bottle and presents me with a problem I could not solve for 20 more days. The problem is he would go, oh, hi, Mark, and then look up. Now, if you walk onto a rooftop with your eyes straight down, going, I did not hit her. By the way, I have no idea what hitting he is talking about. I did not hit her. He looks up, and then you would go, oh, there is my friend, and I would then say, hi, Mark. The, the issue is, how do I make Tommy look up before he says, hi, Mark? Sounds simple. Not. Take after take. Oh, hi, Mark. And then look up. Oh, cut, Tommy, dude. You have to see him to say hi to him. <laughs> he never got it. How, ask me how I solved the problem. How did you solve the problem? Oh, thank you. I put two grips right off the frame in the background. When I cued him, they jumped up in the air and screamed. And Tommy looked up and went, oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> and that's how I solved that problem. So that's why he looks up. And that's why he looked up. Tommy will no doubt deny all of this, but Tommy is lying. Yeah, so you haven't talked to him since? I have sent emails, which I have kept copies of. I have made phone calls, which I have made recordings of. Tommy will not talk to me because I quit on his last day. Uh, my, My girlfriend was shooting stills. When they had the rap party, he invited her, but not me, which is pretty hilarious. And he told her at the rap party, and I couldn't go because I was already on another project shooting. I couldn't go, and he said, well, we like you, but we don't like Sandy because he quit. Well, too bad. <laughs> I still directed your movie for you. Right. Right. And he t- but do you think he was always going to take the credit for it, even if you stayed no. to the end? No. I-, I thought he would put, you know, either a co-director or directed by or, or something because he never directed a single frame of it, and anything else is lying. It would be one thing to say, Sandy, here is a pile of money for you to sign a contract that says, I directed the movie and you will never speak up about this. Paying for my silence. Well, this happens in Hollywood pretty much on a daily basis. There was never anything like that. There was never anything saying blah, blah, blah. However, I do have, I have heard him say on many occasions, in front of witnesses, well, if this movie ever makes any money, I'll be sure you're compensated. The movie's making money. Yeah, yeah. I never got compensated. I'm not raising an issue. My primary motivation, when EW called me, I was sitting on the set with Malcolm McDowell, a good friend, uh, shooting a show called Franklin and Bash, and Malcolm is hearing me grouse about this. (laughs) Tommy lying, Tommy lying. He goes, well, Entertainment Weekly wants to talk to you. Go tell your story. Okay, I will. And I told my story. Well, how did they find it? Because are you telling... Um, I, I'm not exactly sure how they found out. There were a lot of people who have heard me grouse and bitch about this over the years. Only because somebody will go, oh my God, this movie, The Room. Hey, didn't you direct that? Listen to what Tommy says. Now, I don't care how bad it is, or how good it is, or how bizarre it is. I don't like liars. And the truth is, I directed it, good or bad, it was me. 
Now, I would not mind terribly if some other guy directing a two or three million dollar project says, wow, if Sandy Schler could do that to the room, imagine what he could do for us. And I could direct more projects. I love being a script supervisor, but I also like to direct. There is nothing wrong with, with this attitude. Right. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, lead to something. Who knows what? As a fan of the movie, I'm not surprised that he takes the credit for it, because it's all part of his mystique and all that. His mystique. You know, his... He lies about his age. I'm not sure what his age is, but it is not what he claims it is. What did he say? 40-something? Oh. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. Tommy is older than me, and I'm 53 now. Tommy is older than me, and that was eight years ago. If you ask him where he's from, he freaks out and closes right. down. You don't you get ever... anything. My best guess, having spent all that time with him, I don't know. Again, this is not hard and fast facts. This is my guess. My best guess is some wealthy European oil family, industrial family, some family with, like the Hiltons, whatever, that have a mountain of money, probably Romania, Transylvania, not the vampire stuff. There is a Transylvania. <laughs> I shoot in Eastern Europe all the time. Right. Bulgarian, somewhere out there. They had this wild child named Tommy, and they say, here, you want to be a movie guy? Here's a big bag of money, millions, no doubt. Go to America, never come back. And I'm sure it's something like that, but that's my best guess. Everybody makes their guess. He said it's $6 million. Is that possible? I, I, do, I don't find that possible at, at all, not even in the slightest. He doesn't know the word rent, so he walked into Burns and & Sawyer and bought and bought and bought. Thrilling Burns and Sawyer. He bought all the equipment. Everything. He he, nobody in Hollywood buys. We rent because equipment goes obsolete in about three days. You, you rent. No, not Tommy. He goes in and buys, which is probably how Raphael ended up in the project. Raphael probably owed a favor to to Burns and Sawyer. This is my repayment of your favor. I'll direct this thing for 30 days or until he can't return it and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. But yeah, he bought everything. There could not have been more. I don't know, than a million dollars, a million and a half dollars worth of equipment on that stage ever. So, I don't know, add in some salaries. No, I don't see it being six million. However, with all the promotional stuff he did, and he does promote the hell out of it. The billboards alone. The billboards, all the rest. Yeah, I, I have no idea how that money works out. Maybe, maybe not. But like I said, I won't take that away from him. Tommy produced it. Tommy promoted it. Tommy shoved this down the throats of America. Good for him. But he didn't direct it. What about the scene with uh, Tommy's girlfriend and his best friend, Mark, and they're on the spiral staircase having yeah. sex? Okay. This is a love scene without Tommy. I directed this. I thought it was rather tasteful. I thought it was kind of nice. Now, I learned how to direct love scenes from Zalman King. Nine and a half weeks, Wild Orchid, all the Red Shoe Diary stuff, Chromium Blue in Spain, which I did for him for seven or eight, nine months in Spain. Um, Zalman King is probably the finest director of love scenes on the planet, I think, in my opinion. Um, shooting and working for him for many years, I believe I learned how to do a, direct a proper love scene, which I have done several of them, many of them since. Um, and I thought it was kind of tasteful. You know, a script supervisor is thought of as a silent director for the, if your director is on his first or second project. Um, although I'm not so silent all the time. Um, we are shot makers. We're on-set editors. We put this together. So I was the perfect choice. 
any guy like me. You know, you could pick any guy in this crew. You could pick any guy in this slot. Shove them into that spot, they would have done the exact same thing I did. Luck of the draw. Because someone needed to do it. But, he, asked, but he blatantly asked you to do it. Oh, he blatantly said, you will say action and cut, you will direct the actors, you will tell them what to do, you will do the camera. <laughs> I directed it. Everything a director does, I did. Tommy, nothing. Not once. Not ever. So that's the big lie. And it, after eight years, it annoys me to no end. It would annoy you too. Yeah, we took full credit. If somebody keeps lying about something you did, no matter how bad it is or how good it is, eventually you're going to get pissed off. Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't? Where's my money, Denny? Where's my fucking money? Oh, the Chris R. Now that's Dan Janjigian. I've been friends with him for years. Why is there a criminal on the roof of his building with a gun? I don't know. What drug money? I don't know. Stories usually have something leading up to why a scene is in a movie. I have no idea. Was it because it felt like it was an American thing to do? I don't know. I think it was because Tommy wanted to feel the hero. And that's what they did. Oh, yeah. Now, Tommy, we show, and Johnny, they are one and the same. This is not Tommy playing a character. This is Tommy playing himself and renaming himself Johnny. This is Tommy's alter ego, fantasy, whatever it is. It's all him. So when you direct Tommy Johnny, you have to be very fast on your feet because things are changing constantly, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. And I had a blast. Bottom line, I had a blast making this movie, but I did make it. And I had a, it was a fun. Mm, it's constant dancing around the angles. And what, I, what do you need? What do you need? Getting my three pages going, what? And if I directed the three, three pages fast enough, his assistant would run in and stuff a 20 in my pocket. I got tips. Got tips as a director? What director in Hollywood ever got tips? I would I never. Did. I got tips. Can I just say, in a million years, I would never think to ask you that question. Eh. Did you get tips? Yeah, who would? So you got tipped because I you shot tips. faster. If I shot fast, if I finished a scene in a timely fashion, I got a tip. I still keep one of those 20s framed because that's the funniest thing I ever saw. I couldn't wait to get there in the morning. I would laugh my ass off because everything would go wrong all day long. It was fun. There's a scene uh, with Tommy, Denny, and that mysterious guy, the sweater guy, are in the corner playing football three feet. Where did you shoot that? Was that also on, in the stage? On the stage. Everything was there. It, it, there were moments where I would just remember making a movie nobody's ever going to see, where I would turn to Graham and say, dude, where you lit? Oh, we're still lit in that corner. Great. The next scene's going to be in this corner. And I would just build it up because it was faster and it's already lit. And who cares? Who cares? And then have fun with the characters in the dialogue. Make it bigger. Do this more. Get this over the top. Breast, breast cancer? Are you, are you kidding me? Breast was she, cancer? Were, okay, fine. Did the askers, actors ever ask you about what's going on? Only constantly. <laughs> Sandy, help! <laughs> Change this! What about the actress who played Lisa? She seems, her weight seems She's to go up. She's a very nice girl. There's a comment in the movie that people say that her weight goes up and down. Didn't change at all. No. What you have is a wonderful costume designer but inexperienced. And a very experienced costume designer would dress her in such a way that she would look consistent. She doesn't look consistent because she's not being costumed consistently. Oh. Not the costume designer's fault. She never Give her another 20 years of experience and yeah, she'll fix that. 
But at the time, no. And she was a wonderful, you make sure that that's in there. This was a wonderful crew of wonderful people, all trying their best to survive this project without any significant brain damage. <laughs> Flat out the scene, I have to ask you about. Please. Lisa and her best friend are talking about Tommy, and Lisa's leaned back, and every shot of her, when she talks, her neck moves. Her neck bone. Did you notice that? Sure. What would you suggest I do to fix it? I'm out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I got a cameraman looking at me going, what? Like, let it ride. We're making a movie nobody's ever going to see. Who cares? Just let it ride. There's nothing I can fix there. So, but you saw it, you were aware of it, and you're just like... What to fix? How can I fix this? Give me a suggestion right now, Adam. How can I fix that? I don't know. I don't know either. I'm not, I, here, to, let I'm it not ride. here to change it. Yeah, yeah let it ride. Part. Whatever. They kept going to the kitchen. Does anybody wonder? There's no kitchen door. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, they just walk straight out. <laughs> they just leave the scene. But even the party scene at the end... <laughs> People are walking in. They yeah. say, hey, let's all go outside. The party scene. And what does Tommy say in the party scene? Yeah, we better leave. It's getting a little weird in here. Man, talk about foreshadowing. <laughs> talk about encapsulating everything. That should have been the title. It's getting a little weird in here. Where did the room title come from? Do you have any idea? None. We shot it in one room, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Not my script. In Hollywood, the vast, vast majority of directors... They're just working, guys. Look, your agent gets you a gig. I, I got how I'm here. I got a gig. Uh, you get hired by a producer. The producer's the boss. If the producer tells you, this is what I would like to see, if you object, you discuss. Otherwise, you go, mm, okay, we'll shoot it that way. And creative choices can go, there's no right and wrong. You know, maybe I'm thinking up. The character should be in a blue dress. And the producer says, no, no, I want him in a red dress. Well, you're paying the bills, fine. Red dress it is. Mm -hmm. I think of a film set as 100 directors and one electrician. Everybody has an opinion. That's true for this show, Super Ninjas. That's true for any show, any feature. Everybody's got an opinion. The job is do your department, do your job. Let the director do his job. It's his vision. We all have a vision, but his is the only one that counts. I have to be consistent with that. I'm a great believer in that. That each job has its edges. Try not to overlap anybody else's. You, we may all be able to just set that planter where it needs to be, but no. That is the set dresser's job. Let him set it. Otherwise, you are interfering in his lane. You are pissing on his job. Don't do that. So it's a set dressing. There was a TV that's facing the wall. Why is that? Was that to fill the Bad screen? Bad reflection. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I had a bad reflection. Yeah, turn the TV around. Who cares? Turn it around. <laughs> There's no justification nah, why is there? No, nah, no, nah. There's a lot, but yeah, I'm not the only one doing that. I mean, what, what do we got in here? What are those, uh, why, do, okay. Uh, a phrase I repeated frequently on set. What are these characters doing here? Why does Tommy love Denny so much? Why does he want to adopt him? And why, in God's name, does Tommy want me always to have him carrying a football? I don't know. Sandy, Denny has to carry a football. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. Give the man a football. How old is Sandy, that kid? Sandy, why am I carrying a football? I don't know. Just carry the football and shut up. <laughs> How old is that guy for real? Do you think? I don't know. He's very young. Did you? I, I like to watch. Did you? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and they cut it into the movie. Wow. Wow. Did you, I mean, did you Speechless. assume they'd never make it? 
you'd assume that the scene would never, someone would stop. 99%, 90% of what we shoot in Hollywood, and I'm talking the real stuff. Right. We're never on the, sees we're, the light of day. We're sitting here on the back lot of Paramount. Most of this stuff, uh, features, never see the light of day. They get made. Somebody goes, we're going to get screwed on this. Let's cut our losses, shelve it, and we'll go on to our next project. That's, that's what happens. And that's what you assume. I assumed that I was making a movie nobody would ever see and that I could have the time of my life with it, and I did. Every scene a mile over the top. Now, people love this movie because every scene is a mile over the top. Right. That's not Tommy, that's me. It just is. But I think part of the lore is that they think this guy did it seriously, and they think that... He was. Yeah, okay. Well, then Tommy still, was still doing there. it seriously. Right. We were all making a comedy. Mm-hmm. Tommy gave me the very serious, in quotes, serious dialogue that I would do a spit take trying to read because this is so stupid and hilarious. Breast cancer? Yeah, just thrown away. I never loved your father. Isn't that what she throws out at the party? Yes, but I never loved your father. Oh, well. Well, Lisa says, yes, and I'm pregnant. And then she explains it to her mother. Oh, yes, I'm not, but I just said that to make things interesting. Interesting for who? The Marquis de Sade? <laughs> interesting. I don't, okay. I thought it was interesting. Did you shoot the scene where Tommy kills himself? Mm, well, attempts to, yeah. Shot everything but his two love scenes. Oh, okay. So, everything so but you're his two saying he doesn't kill himself? With the gun that I guess he got from Chris R? Did he get that gun from Chris R? I don't know. Because that was. I don't know. It's just there. So there's no explanation Did you ever why see the, the Highlander? Yeah, yeah. Great film, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the movie starts. Christopher Lambert is in the nosebleed seats watching a wrestling match with his knees up to his chest. Two seconds later, he pulls a six-foot broadsword out of his coat. Where did the sword come from? Who cares? It's a movie. Right. It's a big lesson there. And I've worked with Russell Mulcahy, oh, okay. who directed Highlander on another movie. project. He's a wonderful director. Wonderful. A little squirrely, a little hard to follow. Physically, because he's moving like the speed of light. This is the Energizer Bunny. I like him very much. He's a wonderful director. So I did a pilot with him uh, on a series. I can't remember the name of it now. And I had a character getting out of a swimming pool in a Speedo set of trunks and holding up car keys. And I said, Russell, where did he get the car keys? And Russell turns to me and goes, I don't know. Where'd the Highlander get his sword? I learned a big lesson. We're making movies. We're not making biographies. We're making movies. We don't have to explain everything. The gun, it's just there. Who knows? It's not really. Chris R. just shows up. Just there. Oh. I have no explanation. And did you hire him? Was that a friend of yours that you brought no, him? I didn't hire anybody. I didn't hire anybody. I made friends that I'm still friendly with today. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a couple of juicers that came in that I knew previously on other projects. If you do this long enough and you get the gray hair... You're going to know everybody. Man, if I get on an airplane and go shoot in Sweden, I'll know people on the crew. It's a small community. You may feel big, but it's not. It's not. We, know, we all know each other. So you're saying, that the, just to jump back to the vodka and Anything scotch, you you have no, they just pulled it out and nobody said, hey, you can't mix vodka and scotch. What, are you, are you looking for accuracy here? Yeah. <laughs> you, please, you're talking about the wrong movie. Okay. Wow, you're, you're looking at the drink that shouldn't be mixed with vodka, and I'm thinking, breast cancer? <laughs> you just, like, finish it. Again, yeah, is that the prop cares? department that's or is that Tommy? Thing. Huh? Is that the prop department? 
Yeah. They just didn't mix it with this. Fine, whatever. Just mix it. Yeah, most of it was like, yeah, whatever. Just put that in there. I just want to get the shot. I want to make it look right. I want to get the feel for it. I want every scene to end where I mentally hear the upbeat of an organ in my head. Da -da -da! What's going to happen next? I don't know. You don't know. You didn't know either. And I never knew. I was always so shocked when I got my pages. Like, have you gone? Whoa. Have you gone to one of the screenings after oh, that yeah. time? Well, I went to that one where I first saw everything happening, and then uh, no, I have no. Just that one was scary enough for me. Um, although I get people all the time. The crew in LA tend to know that I directed this. Good. Thank you so much for understanding. Adam, the show is pleasure. Super Ninjas. Yeah, Super Ninjas, man. Uh, we'll talk more later. This is this is excellent. I really okay. appreciate it. Yeah. You get what you needed? Oh, my God. This is great. It was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, you too. All right, good job. Good Thank job. You. Thank appreciate you. it. All right. Yeah, got it. Thanks for listening to Proudly Resents. Make a comment or suggest a film at reachadam at mac.com. That's reachadam at mac.com or on our comment line. You ready? Get a pencil. <laughs> I'll wait. Okay, got one? Okay. To call 646-481-5476. That's our comment line. 646 646- 4815476 Keep it clean and short we might air it Twitter is at reach Adam Join us on Facebook or be old school and go to our website proudlyresents.com If you like the show put the episode up on your Twitter Facebook stumble upon dig you know all those things Tell a friend, I'm Eddie Pepitone, and my Twitter account is at Eddie Pepitone. Interview on the room with Sandy Schklar. And that was your minus 20 reference tone. And that is the role, Sandy's role, interview of the room. Thank you very much. And uh, that was your minus 20 reference tone. Thank you, bye.